Welcome to HR Bytes, a podcast and video series to bring you stories of HR professionals who bring a think globally and act locally digital HR agenda to their work. Everyday people who are driving digital transformations in their organizations, data-driven and future-fit digital HR leaders. This is your host, Jay Polaki, and today's guest needs no introduction. Welcome to the show, Lars. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Yeah, Jay, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So Lars, I'm going to start with that dreaded interview question. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in writing Redefine HR. Uh, well, let's see. I'm a, uh, I'm a dad. I am an entrepreneur. I'm a writer, podcaster, lots of, lots of slashes there. Um, I've been in the field for a little over 20 years. Um, a lot of that on the corporate side, running global recruiting and talent teams at uh, Ticketmaster, Magento, and NPR, and then uh, started my own firm, Amplify, about a little over seven years ago. Uh, and so now I do a mix of consulting and uh, HR executive search and then uh, editorial projects. Um, you know, the book is kind of the culmination of a lot of where I've been spending my time and what I've been thinking about for the last probably seven years. Um, since co founding the uh, HR Open Source Initiative, which is a, a global nonprofit. Um, to, you know, having talks and covering modern HR for an earlier book I wrote on employer branding and uh, a column I have in Fast Company. Uh, and so I've been writing all these, you know, individual uh, pieces on aspects of modern HR for years. And uh, I felt it was time that I wrote something more kind of cohesive to tie them all together and kind of paint a picture for what HR can look like at its best. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the human resources function has definitely met the challenges of 2020, and we are ready to continue building on all that learning uh, from 2020, right? And your book certainly has raised the bar <laughs> in the way we show up and, and show that we care for our employees. Um, so how do you see the people function influence change in our organizations and adopt courageous initiatives uh, while facing the even more myriad challenges of 2021. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that, uh, you know, one of the, the core principles that I convey in the, in the book is that you know, the field of HR is really a spectrum. So you have, you know, at the leading edge, you have those modern companies that are doing all those things that you mentioned. Uh, on the other side of that, there's some companies that are still kind of stuck in legacy practices and, and kind of working their way out of that. And that's not necessarily their fault. It could be the organization, the culture, the executive team. Uh, and then you have a big group uh, in the middle. So I think as you look at how we've gone through 2020, um, you know, this, it was a hairy, difficult, challenging year for everybody, let alone the field of HR who were on the front lines of that for their organizations, their teams, uh, their employees and themselves, and so I think it was uh, uh, you know the the events of 2020 put a unique strain on HR practitioners and HR leaders even more specifically. Uh, and so I think that the ones that have really the companies that have fared the best had progressive uh, you know action oriented but also compassionate HR leaders that were able to help all of those different constituents navigate through um, you know the difficulties of the year as best they could. And so I think we're entering 2021 with, uh, you know, we still have a lot of scars 
um, from that in a moment, and we're not through it yet. So you know, definitely there's lots of cause for optimism, and I share that optimism, but we're still in some difficult times that we're you know, collectively working through. So uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're not, we're not at that light yet. Absolutely. You know, like you said, leadership is now asking every team to do more with less because, you know, this is the nature of our lives now. And and in such a scenario, uh, you know, the adoption of technology by HR teams for all aspects of our function is inevitable. So how do you think we should accelerate the adoption of a digital mindset in our people function? Yeah, I mean, there's a report from McKinsey uh, this, uh, earlier, I think about a month ago, that said the uh, the pandemic accelerated the digitization of business by four years. Uh, and the shift to remote, most business leaders expected it would take them a year to make that transition. On average, they did it in seven days. Granted, there's a global pandemic forcing their hand, but uh, it proved that there is, you know, if there is an appetite there's a capability uh, in embracing digital technologies and change. And I think, especially as we continue moving through the pandemic, uh, for those of us who had employees that were able to work safely from home, and that, that's you know an aspect of the job, and all, not all employees can do that uh, based on their roles, but for those that can, most of those companies are going to be hybrid by default. To what extent they're hybrid, that's going to that's gonna vary, uh, but you're going to have some employees who are desperate to get back into an office. They're going to do that as soon as it's safe to do so. You have some employees who are never going to come back in your office. And so we have to be really smart and practical with how we're deploying and leveraging digital technologies to ensure that the experience, the employee experience for our employees who aren't in an office five days a week is as strong as those that are. And so I think in that sense, it's a, you know, it's a huge catalyst for us in the right direction. Um, but the question, you know, whether to, to digitize or not is no longer the right question. I mean, it wasn't the right question before the pandemic. It's certainly not now. We have to embrace that. Absolutely. And in this experience economy, you know, we have to definitely provide that individualized, engaging and consumer grade experience that you were talking about for our, all our employees, irrespective of where they're working, whether they're working from home or in the office or they're kind of in this hybrid mode. And, and there are very few components more fundamental, I think, to HR in 2021 and beyond to make this happen than analytics. And you speak about this in your book as well. So how do you see the changing relationship of the HR function with data and our active contributions to meaningful workforce evaluation and evolution? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a couple of things, really. I think, you know, data isn't new for HR necessarily. Like we've been, we've had data since I was crunching Excel spreadsheets, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, I still have, you know, nightmares of some of those uh, reports that I had to build manually. But, uh, you know, now what's what's changed is that, you know, we've gotten much better at leveraging technology and we've become much more sophisticated in what we do with the data and how we interpret the data and now the analytics to actually extract insights. And in some cases, predictive insights to kind of know what's going to happen before it even happens. Like that's the holy grail of data and people analytics. So I think we've gotten a lot more sophisticated. You know, we have, if you look at best in class companies, um, they have actual data scientists in their HR team helping interpret uh, and analyze that data and extract insights from it. So um, I think it's important. I think we always have to, you know, it's easy to get smitten in the conversation around data as if, you know, data in and of itself 
raises uh, the you know the impact of HR and data. It's not just about being able to collect and interpret data. The art is how you tell stories with data, how you use that data, combine it with your HR acumen, uh, and in some cases, kind of intuition based on your experience to be able to tell a story with the data that leads to influence and outcomes. So I think we, um, you know, it's easy for us to get, you know, caught up in the, the the hype around data itself, but I think we have to look at it holistically in the broader context of how we not just gather, but also uh, use that data, package that data in a way that drives business outcomes. Absolutely. And I was reading something about also, uh, you know, asking for the story behind the data, not just using the data to tell the story, but asking for the story behind the data, because sometimes the statistics really don't tell the story that uh, the real story, right? So that's an important aspect too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you can, you can, you can pull data to tell any story. You can manipulate data to tell the story you want to tell. It's not necessarily the right story. And we do have to be mindful of things like ethical data, uh, how to, how to leverage and interpret the data in an ethical way. Uh, we have to be aware of, you know, DEI when it comes to data and bias and, you know, make sure we have uh, diverse ranges of employees evaluating and assessing that data. If you have a room full of um, you know, white male data scientists all interpreting that data, you might not get the right outcomes uh, and, and actions out of that data. So I think those are all all additional components that we have to think about beyond just the data. Absolutely. And, and today, you know, HR teams are being asked to start with the problem that they're trying to solve um, and not with the solution as part of their digital transformation journeys as well, right? So they're kind of being asked to take on that entrepreneurial and product mindset that you also talk about in your book. So what's one piece of advice you have for our HR colleagues who are looking to adopt uh, new technology in their function? Um, so the first thing I'd probably say is that the field of HR is so uh, vast right now. The field of HR technology, I should say, um, you can't know everything that is happening right now. Analysts can't know everything that's happening right now. There's just too much. There's you know billions of dollars of venture capital being poured into the field. Um, what I would recommend, a couple of recommendations. One would be prioritize your technology needs based on your business needs. So. There's lots of cool technology out there that can do lots of cool things and solve lots of difficult problems. They might not be the difficult problems that your organization has. So even though there might be a hype bubble around things like AI or or automation, and yes, there's values in those categories, but are they the right values for you? And obviously we all have limited budgets. We have finite resources. So you have to be able to, it's almost limitless what you can buy from an HR tech space, you've got to really prioritize the technology around the business problems that you specifically and your organization are trying to solve. That should be the driver of where you invest, uh, not just you know what's getting the most hype right now. Because hype cycles around HR tech can be massive, uh, and they can you know if you don't guard yourself against that, uh, you could easily fall down that path and buy tech that you don't really need, or buy tech that is great tech but it's not necessarily solving the problems that you're facing. Great insights. And, and you know, uh, when you say that, uh, what comes to the fore for me is that, you know, we are all being asked to uplift our employees. 
and empower our organizations and to so that we can lead and remain competitive in this global HR space. And, and we are being asked to take on so many different new technologies. So that call to action to uplift and empower our organizations also goes hand in hand with the, you know, the independent thinking that we need to kind of involve in this process and, and um, you know, make that decision to adopt the right technology and also ask the question, why we need the technology in the first place to resolve a certain you know issue or problem in our hr space so so great insights you know i also think that with the advances in technology our ability to prepare our hr function for this increase in remote and hybrid work has definitely increased like tenfold what what do you think we as HR professionals can do more to prepare our function uh, to adopt to this increase in hybrid work? Yeah, I mean, I think that it happens a couple different ways, right? Like one is educating our leadership, our executive team of what, what our reality is now and, and where it's shifting towards. Because there's a lot of executives out there that may have, you know, older school mindsets uh, and they're, they're kind of you know, we talk about the light at the end of the tunnel of the pandemic, they're seeing that light as like, cool, everybody comes back to the office. And you have to kind of let them know, like, that's not really going to be the reality for many organizations. And if you hold to that, if you're forcing everybody to come back, you're going to have some real turnover issues uh, because people don't have to go back in office if they don't want to. I think that the key word for 2021 and beyond is choice. It's employee choice. So, So that's one. I think number two is really doing a much better job of listening and creating feedback loops with your employee population so that you can understand what their needs are, what their gaps are, uh, where sentiment is across the business organization. That's harder to do, especially if you're used to being co-located in an office and now you've got employee populations that are are remote and even, even once we start going back into the office. So making sure that you're listening, you're pulse checking, uh, you're, you're, you're being more proactive in terms of gathering that employee feedback and employee sentiment. Um, and then the third piece is going to be, I think, the majority of businesses uh, who had employees kind of working from home during this time, uh, when we are on the other side of this, uh, they're going to be hybrid by default. And again, like I mentioned, the, you know how much hybrid is going to be dependent on the organization. But the risk is and the challenges of the three models, you know, co-located, um, fully distributed or hybrid, hybrid's the hardest. It's the most difficult to manage from an HR and people standpoint. And that's going to be the the biggest reality for most of us. So in terms of best practices, it's really important for us to try to engineer our policies and our programs and our kind of, you know, HR operating system, if you will, as remote by default so that wherever employees are, if they're in an office, if they're remote, uh, they're all, you know, it's an even playing field for all of them. Um, I think that the challenge is, most organizations never really reoriented their policy around distributed who have been remote. So they're just going to go right back to the way it is with like, and that's going to create almost two classes of employees where people who come into an office are going to have an inherent advantage to doing so. And those who are remote are going to, you know, be disadvantaged by doing so. So that, you know, none of that is easy, but all of those are things that, uh, you know, HR and people operators need to be thinking about right now. Yeah. So that 
brings us to our question connection section, uh, the funner part of our conversation. But I did have a couple of questions from our audience. I polled them before our interview today. And so some of the questions they asked were, what's one future ready skill that organizations should absolutely develop today that you think organizations should develop? Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to pick one because I think there's a lot of things, but I think in this, this you know, would apply to others as well as agility. And when I say agile, uh, you know, I don't mean, you know, scrum boards and uh, stand-up meetings, although you could do that, but I mean more moving away from our, you know, the legacy approach in HR is uh, we have a playbook for how we do different aspects of the role. So performance playbook, you know, learning playbook, recruiting playbook. Playbooks don't really fit the dynamic times that we're in. And so when I say agile, um, you know, not being locked into a legacy way of doing things because that's the way you've always done things. Maybe it is the best way. I'm not saying blow everything up and start from scratch, but have those conversations where you're like, hmm, if we built this from the ground up today, would it look the same? Uh, would it look significantly different? If the latter is your answer, you might want to prioritize re-engineering some of those processes. So I think agile in mindset, lightweight in approach, uh, I, I think that that is really um, uh, a key kind of characteristic of modern HR that we're going to need for the future. Wonderful. And in your experience, what do you think should be the fundamental mindset shift that HR needs to bring in to be able to redefine HR? And, and at what pace should we be doing it? Um, so I'll tackle the first question first. Um, you know, I, I think having a, a growth mindset over a fixed mindset is incredibly important. You know, the, the, the pace of change is happening so fast and there's so many external factors that are impacting our work. Um, if we don't have a growth mindset, if we're not prioritizing our own learning, if we're not looking at learning agility uh, as something that is an essential uh, skill set for modern HR operators, it's going to be really hard for, for us to keep pace with these changes. And so if you're really looking about uh, redefining HR and kind of building the future, you've got to have that growth mindset. You've got to be willing to learn. You've got to be prioritizing that in the flow of your work so that you can keep pace and add more value to the business. Um, what is the timeline? There isn't one. And, and by there isn't one, I mean that it, it's so subjective. I think, you know, every organization is different. What we can't do is we can't say, uh, you know, make blanket statements. Like uh, we all have to be embracing X by Y date. That doesn't work. Some companies are doing why now. Some companies are 10 years away from why. And there's a range of factors. So I think it's, it's similar to why I don't use the term best practices, because I think that that's, you know, it's a best practice for one specific organization, given all of their uniquely distinct variables that no other company has. Um, but I think uh, I think your timeline is what is right for you. I, I, what I'd like to see more of is basically just that we're all working towards leveling up our capabilities and our processes, but I don't think you can put a, a timeline on what that process should look like because um, you know every organization is going to be different in terms of uh, the, the the blockers or enablers they have that can uh, lead to those outcomes. Wonderful. And you know what might organizations and leaders do to include HR as a core business function and not simply like a business enablement function? Open your eyes. 
<laughs> I mean, I'll give you a more practical answer, but I think this, this, my answer also depends, as I mentioned, kind of that spectrum of HR, you know, in those leading organizations, like what much of my book kind of focuses on that leading edge, they're there. They're, they're, they don't have to prove anything. They already have, you know, there's no discussions around seat at the table. There's no discussion around like executive credibility. Like they're in there and they're all of that. So they can just run and they can operate and then they have to respect the business. Um, you know, beyond that group, there's, there's again, across that spectrum, people are at different stages. So I think the, probably one of the most important things that uh, HR and people operators can do to, to, to get to that outcome is really uh, focus on developing their own business acumen, right? It's not enough to just have HR acumen. It's not enough just to understand like, you know, uh, compensation practices inside and out or, uh, you know, learning practices inside and out. You have to understand the business. You have to understand what the revenue model is for the business. You have to understand what the three-year plan is. You have to understand what the go-to-market strategy is. Uh, you have to understand what the risks to the business are so that with that understanding, you can, A, speak their language. So you're not just, you know, it's not just, you know, quote unquote, soft HR talk. You can actually talk about business drivers uh, and outcomes, but then you can develop and align your and prioritize your people programs and strategy to support that business and measure how one is enabling the other. So I think when you do that, then, you know, the business value and impact of the function is clear, um, but you, you have to, you know, we're not necessarily wired that way by default. So you, you have to make the effort to get there. The intentional part of redefining HR right there. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, now that we've answered our audience questions, we come back to our fun conversation. Um, <laughs> who is one person you've gained in your network? I know it's difficult, but one person you've gained in your network in the last year that you think more people should know about in the HR tech space? Oh, in the HR tech specifically space, that, um, that I'm thinking about. I mean, I, you know, when I look at HR tech and I'm cheating a little bit because this isn't somebody that I met in the last year, but uh, George LaRock uh, is one of my, you know, favorite thinkers and minds in the space. He's, he's an analyst uh, and he's, he just, he gets it. Uh, he shares, he works openly and collaboratively. Uh, and uh, like I said, even, even analysts can't keep pace with what's going on in the space, but he does a pretty good job of uh, staying on top of everything. So he, he's who I look to. Uh, when I need to, uh, you know, kind of get a better, uh, better understanding uh, of a particular vertical or a segment within the space. And we'll link his profile in our show notes for the audience. Thank you. What's your favorite HR podcast? I know you have your a couple of podcasts of your own and, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, but what, what is your favorite HR podcast? You know, I'm probably copying out, and this is maybe a little bit of a weird answer, but to be honest, like I don't, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. There's a couple of podcasts that I, I hear and I like. I'd say Adam Grant's is probably my favorite uh, in HR, um, if you would call that HR. I, mean, I think it's more business broadly, but certainly it is a heavy people analytic. Uh, but as a, uh, it's probably weird, but as somebody who you know produces a podcast, uh, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, but I do make a point to listen to Adam's stuff. Uh, and there's lots of other great, you know, Lori Rudman's podcast is great. Chad and Cheese is great. There, there's lots of other great episodes. Spotify has got a new podcast that's really good out of their HR team. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say if I had to pick one, it would be uh, Work Life by Adam Grant. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'd also qualify that by saying that uh, 
I'm sure there's tons of great HR podcasts out there that just aren't on my radar because I don't, you know, I don't listen to as many podcasts as uh, you might think that I do based on the uh, based on producing a show. Well, uh, you know, you're not alone. There are lots of folks out there who produce podcasts like me and you who do not listen to as many. So there you go. Um, if we were to turn a chapter of your book into a flip book, what's that one chapter you would like us to do into a flip book? Uh, it would be chapter three, uh, building a company for everyone. It was a chapter focused on diversity, equity, belonging, and inclusion. Um, and I would pick it as a flip book because I think the, the message and the content and the work that we have to do in the space can use all the additional resources that, uh, that we can bring to bear. So, um, if that would help get the attention of some more practitioners and kind of open their minds up to some of the work that we need to do in HR, then, I'm all for flip books. I'm all for uh, for whatever vehicles might do that. How long did it take you to write this book? Uh, you know, I would say probably four months with an asterisk, meaning, you know, I had just started the book when the pandemic hit and then I didn't write a single word for two months. Wow. Uh, then I started writing again. Uh, so there was a big, uh, a big kind of, you know, block of time during the writing process that, uh, that I didn't write. I was working on some open source projects and other things. So, um, yeah, but I'd say if, if I, looking back probably about, you know, four months, uh, of total, you know, writing time. Wow. That is fast. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to say and even how I wanted to say it. Uh, and I also had some, um, personal essays and quotes that I pulled from the podcast and stories um, into the book. So that also helped me think about it. And before I even signed the book deal, I had already kind of mapped out uh, what I viewed as like a framework for modern HR. And that was really what the, the book was based on. It was actually a, the, the kind of very early origins of it uh, was a piece that I wrote in Fast Company around, uh, I think it was 10 ways that HR will look different in 2020 that I wrote uh, in Q4 2019. And those then became kind of the foundational elements that carried over to the book. So, um, so yeah, I think I had a lot of uh, a, a lot of the framework for it in place before I had to actually, you know, manufacture eighty thousand words. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a great read. I loved reading it, so I recommend it to all our audience. You must read. Thank you. Finding HR. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And where would you like to travel after the pandemic? Everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, I, you know, 2020 before the pandemic hit, my, my travel plans had me in, uh, you know, Auckland, New Zealand, um, Berlin, Paris, London, Stockholm. Uh, you know, I had a lot of uh, interesting destinations on my radar that never happened. So uh, I don't know. I definitely want to, I need to go somewhere with my family first. Uh, we haven't traveled for over a year and we're all dying to do something. Hopefully that's going to, you know, involve a beach, uh, maybe Disney for our girls, uh, you know, when that's safe to do so. But, um, but yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, I'm definitely overdue for a trip to London. I've got a lot of friends there and some events that I've missed. So uh, there and then uh, California, I've got some great friends and family in uh, both Northern and Southern California. So I think that'll be That'll be on the list as well, but uh, but I, I I can't give you just one because there's so many places I'm dying to uh, to get to. But uh, but a beach is definitely high on the priority list. Well, let's hope you get to that beach first, then. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> 
So uh, Lars, you give back to the HR community and the community you live in, in myriad ways. Uh, how do you enjoy giving back to our HR community specifically? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a driving uh, factor in all the work that I do. Uh, and, and for me, it's like, uh, you know, it, there, there's a selfish element to that. Like I get a lot out of it. Like I, it, it, fuel, it fuels me to feel that I'm able to contribute uh, and that I'm able to be of service. And I mean, when I was coming up in my career, I had a range of great mentors and people who were willing to invest in me uh, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without them. And so, um, you know, they, they instilled in me a deep desire to kind of make the field um, that I've gotten so much from yeah, better and, and do what I can to be of service and helpful. And so whether it's open source projects or whatever else, that's a big driver for me is just like realizing that, um, you know, if I can do, if I can create content or create programs or create connections uh, that can, that can help people be more impactful in their role or, uh, or, or, you know, kind of, you know, fall, uh, fall in interest with the space like I have, then, uh, then I'm happy to do it. So. Wonderful. Well, thank you kindly for being on HR Bytes today and all that you do for our HR community. If our audience would like to connect with you online, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, so, uh, you know, LinkedIn, uh, certainly I'm very active there. Um, on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, I'm at, at Lars. Uh, and then uh, redefininghr.com is kind of the hub for all of my um, editorial projects and some new things I'm working on I'm going to be launching over the next coming couple months. Wonderful. Thank you again, Lars. It's just been a wonderful, wonderful learning journey for me and I'm sure for my audience as well. Thank you again for being here today. Yeah, Jay, thanks so much for having me on. Audience, thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to bringing you more such global HR tech stories. Take care. Bye-bye.